Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Folks, welcome back to another episode of the Unlaced Podcast. We've got a, a super guest in today, one I've been pumped for um, for a little bit. I've been trying to get a, a couple of players from this club for, for a while, and it's been a challenge. And I'll tell you what, we've landed on an absolute superstar, a former teammate of mine, actually, as well, um, in Ryan Grant from Sydney FC, a three-time A-League champion, Joe Master medalist, and uh, soccer roommate. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. No, thanks for having me, Jakey. Yeah, we've obviously been trying to tee it up for a while, so it's nice that it's finally landed on a good date. Yeah, it has. It has. And it's a, mate, you're looking like a pretty schmick there. You've, you've made a bit of a transition from a, from a, a, I guess, a bit of a, a ratty mullet, you would say, that got some headlines to, you know, there's been some words from the inside saying it's a bit of a modern day standard soccer guy haircut. I mean, what do you say to that from, from some of the people inside the four walls giving you some stick there, I believe? Yeah, as soon as I got it, um, obviously I've had the mullet for a while and um, it's not your conventional haircut and I was trying to steer away from the, the football sort of uh, haircuts and as soon as I got it cut, the boys have quickly reminded me that it's, yeah, it's a, we like to call it soccer hot. Um, <laughs> soccer hot, that was the word. That was the <laughs> word I was instructed to use. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely, I know we're definitely where that's coming from. Yeah, um, yeah it's just, yeah, I had to change it up, obviously, um, obviously for a good cause, but yeah, wanted something a little bit different. And now I've gone for, yeah, the generic football haircut and I actually don't mind it. I thought I wouldn't be all for it, but I actually don't yeah, mind it's, it. It suits you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you've had a shaved head before I've seen, but um, no, I do want to allow you some chance to just fire back at this particular person who I think you're warming up to, because he did mention to me that you've become quite mainstream with the amount of time you're spending on your phone, flicking through Instagram and whatnot. So do you care to defend yourself publicly here on, on any shape or form? Um, I've got a whole folder of this guy that you're referring to, and I'll name him. His name's Michael Zullo. I've got 20 photos in my phone on my camera roll of him on his phone when all the boys are trying to have a, a coffee together or play cards, and he's literally on his phone. So he's just trying to get in before me, and it's he's all lies, mate. Yeah. But, um, Anyone that knows Michael Zullo, he's good. He's good for a white tail. So um, I thought I'd share that with you. He was pretty firm that you've turned into a mainstream fella. Anyone knows that knows Ryan Grant. He's uh, <clears throat> he's independent. He's a hipster. He's he's fresh out of the the central roots of Sydney. So he's a as down to earth as they come. And and I think I wanted to go back to one of the first times where we actually met. And it may have been before this, but I feel like the first time I met you was around the time we went to Colombia for the Under Twenty World Cup, which was in two thousand eleven. For the young Socceroos back then. I mean, do you have any memories of, of that sort of period? Because you, you played quite a lot. I think you went to two World Cups um, from an under-20 standpoint and played quite a lot of football for the youth setup at the, the national level. Yeah, so I'd been to the, the World Cup before our one um, a couple of years earlier uh, with, the, with the older group. And we went to Egypt, I think, for that one, which was really cool to be part of. And um, wasn't a mainstay in that at all, just sort of one on the fringe and was lucky enough to get a few games. But then obviously we went to Colombia, um, which was my age group. So I was 
um, in the, the whole process going through the qualifiers. So it was really cool to be part of that. And then to, uh, as you know, going to represent your country on any level is always awesome. And then to do it with a really good bunch of boys too. We were very tight-knit back then. And, um, yeah, I still talk to a lot of those boys now. So it was a really good time. And um, there's a few funny stories to come out of, <laughs> out of that trip. Um, I do remember our, uh, our bodyguards, oh, not our bodyguards, but our security guys. Yeah, it was like Sorry? the police force they were, I think. It was like the yeah, it was um, crazy army how much police. people had. Yeah. And uh, they were letting us hold their guns and we posing, <laughs> um, holding their guns, doing like two <laughs> shot on the side and stuff. Fair dinkum, I didn't know. Uh, that's definitely not allowed. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, and we recommend, but they were all for it and all the boys were loving getting photos. I've still got the photos somewhere on my phone, <laughs> but I'm trying to keep it. I've, but, still, um, yeah, I've, it was good I've still got the uh, Columbia Policia hat somewhere in my uh it's a vintage hat it's grouse but yeah it was weird i remember we'd go like we'd have a day off and we're like oh we got to get out of the hotel let's go to the supermarket next thing you know there's about five coppers or army lieutenants walking us down like like we were you know this entourage which was pretty unique but it was a pretty cool time i mean i remember going there just like and and this is one of the things i guess we were privileged were at a young age playing for the national team was traveling to so many different countries and experiencing so many cultures quite young which is pretty unique as well as getting to play football was pretty cool. Um, but I think more so for you, one thing that has standed out to me over, over this period of time since knowing you and obviously since you established yourself at Sydney FC back, I think it was almost like 11, 11 12 years ago now, quite a while ago. Um, but you, you're still, still a Sydney sider, still playing for the Sky Blue. One of the, one of the only players that's played over 200 games in the A-League and, and still at the one club. I mean, how, how's it been for you, I guess, currently more so this season, you know, dominating, dominating for so long. Like I think you guys are sitting six now, which is a little bit, or a fifth, a, a little bit more of a foreign position for you in the last few years. How's, how's the season been so far? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one because like you said, we've, we've been so successful the last four or five years and it's pretty foreign for us as a club um, and a team to be yeah, a bit further down the ladder. But um, we're still, I think it's really easy to sort of get hung up on it and, and people demand so much of us. But I think someone once told me that the form or, or the way where you're sitting is only a matter of inches between being good and bad. And, and what I mean by that is if some of our shots that hit the post go in or something gets deflected and misses a, a goal that we conceded, it changes everything. And people don't remember how well you play or how bad you play. If you play, I should say, if, if you uh, come away with the three points at the end of the game and um, obviously finish at the, the top of the table. But I think it's just those little margins that make a big difference. And this year, it might not be going our way. I know that's very cliche and easy to say and it might be a way out, but um, it, things just mightn't be going our way as, as they have in, in the previous years. And I know firsthand that we rode our luck for all those four or five years of being successful. We rode our luck at times and people don't really remember that because we were so successful, but there was a couple of periods there where we got quite lucky and um, yeah, we sort of got through it. And <clears throat> like I said, people forget that, but at the moment, I think just little things might be going our way. I think we're, starting to find our feet a little bit more now uh, further into the season and trying to build on that. But um, yeah, I think come the end of the season, we'll be up there or thereabouts. And once we're in that finals, as you know, anything can happen. So um, yeah, we're looking forward to that, but yeah, it's a different challenge for us here at Sydney and something we're looking forward to. It's, it's a weird one. Cause it's like, you, I think that we're just mentioning off there that the last game you played was a dominant win against Melbourne victory in Melbourne. And you've got to back back up a game pretty soon as it is, but you, I mean, you, you almost feel like with the, I guess the, the dominance you guys have had in the past and keeping quite a, a lot of continuity in your squad as well. 
like building into the finals, I wouldn't want to be playing Sydney FC no matter where you finish in that finals lot because of obviously the experience you guys have that you could probably, you know how to win those games. So there's probably confidence for you guys as well that, you know, if we're in and around that we're going to be in a good position to go all the way again because we've got the same group of players that know how to win as well. Yeah, bang on. I think even last year after the COVID break, we came back and I think we lost three or four games and everyone was like, oh, what's happened? And then we got into the semis and obviously um, bossed it and ended up winning the, the grand final. And like I said before, I've said it a few times now, but people forget that. They forget those few games that we lost on the trot and everyone was questioning us. Um, yeah, so this year, I don't think it's too different in maybe things haven't been going our way. But as soon as we get on a roll or, like you said, get into those finals where anything can happen, I don't think teams will want to face us uh, with the experience that we have and, and knowing what we can do at that, that pointy end of the season. So... Um, yeah, we're still really confident. I know I don't want to talk heaps of football and be heaps cliche and the rest no, of it, no, but we're of still confident. We, we know that we've got the players uh, to do really well and um, we have a great team here and a good culture. So I think, yeah, like like I said, when we get there and uh, at the end of the season, we'll give it a, a red-hot crack. Yeah, no, it's 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 an exciting time, I think, to, to be watching the A-League. Obviously, it's kind of flipped a little bit, the dominance of Sydney FC for so long. Now we've got Central Coast on top, which is a bit unknown for everyone, but... Sydney are going to be coming and watching the game against Melbourne Victory. You just feel like the form's starting to turn a little bit. But um, I do want to actually go back to your hairdo here because um, in all honesty, it was like, it became iconic, this mullet that you wore. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I think I saw you say like, look, you, you kind of had it in good faith, but like either people absolutely thought it was disgusting or people were all about it. And um, I do want to go through like the good cause that you that you did and, and ran obviously to to sort of raise some money for a foundation and, and I guess created a lot of publicity around it, which was great. But can you explain a little bit of the background around what happened there and I guess the process of how you selected a foundation and um, I guess the donations that were that were made for it? Yeah, so um, I had the mullet for I think three years or something, and I, I knew I was um, wanted to be a bit of a change, something different, and. I'm not, I haven't got the best hairline as it is. And <laughs> the mullet was starting to seep through a little bit with, with the longer hair. And I thought, oh, I might have to get rid of this here soon and just embrace it. I turned 30. I was like, oh, I might have to just embrace it here and, <laughs> and uh, deal with it. Um, so firstly, I just wanted a haircut. And then obviously, uh, Bratsy, Luke Bratton, uh, is a teammate and, and a good fella, uh, a good mate of mine. He uh, has had a, his experiences with, within his family with, with cancer and uh, leukemia and, um, that sort of stuff so he did something previously the year before um down the same line of, of doing the world's greatest shave and um yeah when I thought I'm, I'm going to cut it I, I better do something good because like you said it, it got a little bit iconic especially in Australian football everyone sort of knew it and, and like I said if you either loved it or hated it so people were happy to see it go or people weren't so happy but at least it created a little bit of um exposure I suppose and to go to a to a good cause, um, I knew I had to, to do something. And like I said, Bratsy having um, been touched by, by, by cancer and, and leukaemia, I thought I might as well jump on that bandwagon and, and go and, and do the world's greatest shave also and, and see what I can do for that. And um, they were really good about it. They obviously have done so many times, but they set it all up and, and makes up everything so easy. And um, then it sort of just ran from there. People were more than happy to donate to, to see it gone and um, just to help. <laughs> Me and, and help out obviously Bratsy and, and everyone that's um, been touched by leukemia or, or cancer of some form. So yeah, the leukemia foundation awesome. were really good about it, and um, yeah, got it done. I think I ended up getting about twenty seven thousand in the end. Did which you was, really? Was, wasn't the goal what, like ten grand or something at one point? 
<laughs> so I think I put 10 grand not knowing how well I'd go because usually you get a few months to, to sort of raise awareness and, and all the money. But I was pretty desperate for the haircut. So I said, asked if I could do it within a month. And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. Obviously, they're just happy for me to do it. And then, yeah, within a few, I mean, I don't want to lie, but I might, I might be a little bit wrong here. But I think within... The first 12 hours, I think I'd got nearly close to the 10 grand. And then kidding. Um, after that, I just kept putting it up five grand um, and it, everyone just kept donating and it went a long way in the end. And yeah, 27,000, I think after three and a half weeks, which was, I was over the moon with um, and obviously going to an awesome cause. Right. Props to you and Bratzi for, for looking into that and, and, and making that come to life. I think that was a, a beautiful thing to do, but I mean, I do miss it. Is it going to come back at some point? If you, you hit that dirty 30 now, it's like, nah, Buster, keep it, keep it flat, keep it straight. <laughs> yeah. I think I need to settle down. I've always had ordinary haircuts. Uh, <laughs> you have. I was going to say, I won't go into the one I saw at the AIS back in like 2008. It was, uh, that was something else. It was fresh out of Hawaii, like a dreadlock blondie kind of. <laughs> mop top that was doing nothing and doing nothing for me but um couldn't tell me no one could tell me it was it was ordinary and yeah. even when i had the mullet no one could tell me it was it was shit either so uh, i ran with it and i know probably in a few years i'll look back and think well what was i thinking but at the time i was all for it and, and all the boy every every fella i sort of know is like yeah obviously the mullet's awesome and happy for me to rock it but um yeah, my mum, it grew on my mum and, and and my my sisters. They didn't mind it after a while, but at the time, at the early days, they were like, "Yeah, I'm not sure about it." But <laughs> it uh, worked out all right in the end, I reckon. Oh, beautiful, mate! No, well, you can obviously see that behind you as well. That the Sydney Sky Blue sign. I do want to touch on. I did dabble just at the start around like 200 games, almost 12 years at the club, the one club. I mean, that's pretty pretty amazing in a 10, 11 team league for majority of the time remain at the one club in the in the highest league in this country um is pretty pretty amazing stuff i mean for you there's obviously been opportunities to i'm sure explore other 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 avenues and other options outside of sydney i mean what's always been i guess so pivotal for you to stay there and i guess be such a a soul uh, you know a soul defining part of that club really for the last 10 years yeah it's a it's a funny one because it's all i know at the moment um it's it's um I always, I never thought I'd, I'd play professionally, let alone um, for 10 years or at the same club for 10 years. It was just one of those things that um, I was very lucky to sort of initially get the chance and then um, it sort of just rolled on from there. You, when you're a part of it, obviously, um, you just take it day to day. I know that's it's pretty lame to say, but you sort of just get used to it and year in, year out, um, it's all you know, so you just keep going with it. But there were a few chances, I suppose, or opportunities to try something else. Um, but as, as long as I was playing in the A-League, I wasn't going to leave Sydney if, if they were happy to have me, mm. um, which obviously worked out uh, on both ends. But, yeah, there was a while there where I, was, I definitely wasn't um, in the starting 11 at Sydney and um, I was trying to sort of find my feet and find my position, um, sort of playing here, there and everywhere and, and mostly <laughs> left out most of the time. But, uh, <laughs> I was just happy to be part of it as as you know, or anyone that's sort of played football, um, you, when you're not at your best, you just have to be part of it. And it was such a, a, a big club. It still is obviously the biggest club and it always has been. So just to be in around a big club um, made a, the world of difference to me. And then uh, obviously as I started to find my feet and play a little bit more regularly and um, start to do quite well and be successful, it sort of 
I wasn't looking to go anywhere else and, and Sydney uh, obviously wanted to keep me at those times. So it was just one of those things that just one thing just fell into the other and, and bloody 13 years later, I'm still here. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird one. I, I don't think I would, I, I definitely wouldn't go anywhere else in the A-League if something else popped up um, overseas or uh, somewhere somewhere else, I'd I'd definitely be more than interested to have a look and, and and try something different just purely for to challenge myself or yeah. experience a different culture or something like that. But um, until that comes, I'm more than happy here and I love it here. So, um, yeah, try to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, loyal to the Sky Blue, mate. No, they won't be getting rid of you and I could never see you in a victory shirt. I, I almost don't even want to see it, to be honest. Now, I don't want to get this wrong because I know you're from central New South Wales and from a town not too far from Orange. Is it Kanawindra? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's said Canandra, but it's Canandra. There you go. I told you I didn't want to say that, right? So I've, I've said it the way it's spelt. But so you grew up there for, you know, born and raised, born and raised in Canandra. Is that so? Yeah, born and raised in Canandra, um, which yeah, yeah, is a little central west town, um, probably about 40 minutes from Orange and 20 minutes from Cowra. I know that probably means nothing to you, um, <laughs> but from well, might recognise those names. It's about an hour from Bathurst. Everyone knows Bath- yeah, Bathurst because of... Um, Mount Panorama, yeah, yeah, King of the Mountain, yeah, um, yeah. Lived there till I was about twelve, and then moved to Bathurst. Um, old man got a, a new job in Bathurst, and um, we moved there as a family when I was about eleven or twelve, I think. And then, um, yeah, from there I went to Sydney for and Swiss, and then Canberra. For our year. So yeah, started right. in Canandra, but so thousand people. Jeez, one thousand. Who would have thought they'd produce a Socceroo? I mean, that's impressive. Central, exactly. central areas of Australia, you wouldn't have thought. So did you start playing soccer out in Canandra or was it when you went to Bathurst? When did you start sort of getting tied to the round ball? Um, yeah, I played when I was, yeah, four or five, I think I started, but um, Canandra is a bit of a, a small place. So we had to travel to Cowra um, to play our sport. I played every sport, really. I played a bit of hockey with my sisters, played soccer, played a bit of footy. Um, but yeah, everything was in, in Cowra. Uh, that's where the competitions were held. So we'd do the okay. 20, 25 minute trip in the morning uh, on a Saturday and then back uh, obviously in the Arvo. But um, yeah, started when I was about four, four or five, just playing with my sisters really. Right. So when you, when we talk about you making the move to Sydney for Swiss, which for those at New South Wales Institute of Sport, did you, did your family move? Did you just move? Like how, how did that sort of transition happen? No, just me. I think um, we were in Bathurst at that stage. Um, I was 15 um, and obviously got asked to, to join um, NSWIS or the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Um, we had JP Dimarini was the coach at the time. Um, obviously didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about football when I was younger, to be honest. <laughs> I was a bit of a league fan. But um, right. yeah, got asked to, to move to Sydney and um, without really giving it a second thought, I just said, oh, of course. And my old man was like, yeah, of course. And then um, lucky enough, I have a few relos that, that live in Sydney. So we asked my uncle, which is my mum's brother uh, and my auntie to, to take me in and they were more than happy. They, all their kids had grown up. So they were living by themselves oh, uh, in the inner West of Sydney. And I, I moved uh, in with them and yeah, sort of caught the train in and out of, of um, well, from inner West out to Blacktown. And I know this probably doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people not knowing Sydney, but yeah, probably an hour trip. Hey, that's train. massive. Yeah. Um, in the morning, the Arvo. So I was very lucky that I had Rellos that were more than happy to take me in and they looked after me and did everything for me. So 
yeah, it's quite blessed. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's great. I mean, Western Sydney is almost like its own city <laughs> in some regards. I mean, it's that it's that big and that far from the actual CBD, so it's it's quite a hike. Are you still still into your league now? Are you still watching league? Yeah, Find big it? yeah, big league fan, mate. Who who do you follow? I follow the Panthers, which sucks. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a storm boy, as you can imagine, being from Melbourne. So you did romp us the other week, but um, mate, you guys look good. I I I feel like you guys are really, really. I mean, a young team, but like you guys look good. Yeah, the boys are doing really well. Obviously, you had an unreal uh, season last year, but got pipped at the post by you fellas. But yeah. then, um, yeah, this year we've started like house on fire. So hopefully, another big year for the for the fellas, but. Um, yeah, really, really young team, which is freakish. Hopefully, stick around for the future. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, my my actual early early experiences of of as I mentioned earlier before, actually having played with you and met you probably officially when we went to the World Cup um, together, number twenties um, back in two thousand eleven. But actually, first time I ever saw you play was you were playing as a holding midfielder for the AIS when this is when the AIS back in the day. This was pre the A League Youth League, so there was no. A League Youth League, so the AIS used to fly down to Melbourne and play in the uh, the Victorian Premier League, as such as it was then. And I remember you had this surfy blonde hair, small, like very technically good. I actually remember seeing you scoring and thinking, "Geez, he's a good player." Um, <laughs> but but from there, you were only there for a little bit because I, I think it was when Yarn came. You went there with a few other young boys like Bolsey and Sam Galloway. Um, shout out those boys if they're tuning in. Um, but then the, that's when you, your actual first move into Sydney FC wasn't sort of on a pro basis, was it? It was as part of like the inaugural youth league setup. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. It was um, a strange one because obviously, yeah, AAS at the time would fly down and play in Melbourne in the VPL and then fly back. And as you would know, I didn't know anything, like I said, about football and going down there and seeing the, the diehard fans of those clubs just giving it to us. Ruthless, um, mate. Was ruthless, mate. I'd never seen anything like it. And obviously, no disrespect to it, but I didn't think it was um, a massive league. You know what I mean? I just thought um, all I knew was as like, NRL or or Union, what like the top level, the A League at the time. Um, and then to go down there and just see people f- throwing pies at me and saying you're taking our tax money, <laughs> our tax money. Like, it was it was it was just an eye opener. I think I was 16 or maybe just turned 17, and I was just like, wow, what is this? Yeah. Um, it was just a, a massive eye-opener to see how big football really was in a different state that I'd never sort of experienced. But um, then, yeah, then obviously at the time I was playing for the AIS, but the, the youth league started in the A-League. And I was lucky enough to sign for Sydney FC. And um, we were still living at the uh, on campus, though, uh, in the res- <laughs> in the, um, AIS. Sorry, the AIS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we would have to travel, me and Kofi Denning at the time, both were at the AIS and he was a Canberra boy. So he lived uh, just at home, but we would have to get the bus on the Friday down to Sydney, um, train on the Friday Arvo and then play for Sydney FC on the Saturday and then get the bus back wow. um, and then train with the AIS. So it was just a weird sort of phase where it was crossing over and, and whatnot. So it was, yeah, something a bit foreign, but um, it was really good. We had an awesome team that year in the, in the NPL um, with the, the uh, Sydney FC boys, we had some freakish players coming through at the time. So it was, it was a good year. And we obviously ended up winning it that year. So Did you guys uh, win the first year? Was it, was it you guys on the yeah, first year? There you go. Yeah, we won it. Okay. Yeah. We had a really good team. We had like Brendan Gann and obviously Kofi. Um, we had Sean Rooney for a little bit. Um, and then all these players started to get little deals here and there in, in different A-League clubs or at Sydney. So it was just one of those 
really good years with a really good flock of players. Yeah, I remember it being like a really exciting time because it was like you could only sort of get your, get your hands on any A-League gear if you're on a senior team. And then all of a sudden the youth league started happening. Everyone started rocking Sydney FC, victory kid around, playing in like the youth development, which is funny now because 10 years on, there's like academy teams and, and like underage teams for each club. But um, you... Speaking of that, obviously, successful season and some boys getting some opportunities, that's sort of how you, I guess, the back end of, I think it was the 2010 season. Um, was it 2009, 2010? You, you started playing like four or five games towards the end of the year, breaking in. Yeah. I think it was the 2008 season from memory. Um, yeah, because Sydney weren't doing great. We didn't make the finals and I don't think we were a chance. Uh, I might be wrong with that, but we definitely didn't make the finals, but we mightn't have been a chance about four or five games out uh, of the end of the season. So um, Cosy at the time, John Cosmina was the coach and he started to blood a few young players. And um, I think we had germs at the time, Matt German, uh, myself, like I said, Ganny, Kofi, um, Anthony Golek. So these players are all still kicking around and had great <laughs> careers. So yeah, it was just yeah. one of the good years where there was a lot of players coming through. Um, but yeah, started playing, I think five or six games at the end of that season. Um, to sort of get my yeah my debut and, and get my foot in the door, I suppose. Um, and then obviously signed uh, my first professional contract off the back of that um, for the following two years. So, yeah, got a bit lucky. I think most of my career, I think, has just been... I know a lot of people say you make your own luck and whatnot, but I've just been in the right place at the right time. Um, a lot of the time, even for the AIS at NSWIS, I was just super fit and um, pretty quick too. And back in the day, the AIS just to look at that sort of... <laughs> that's highly um and i sort of ticked those boxes and then sort of got the chance there so a lot of it just comes down to a bit of right place right time and a bit of luck and that's sort of how my career's worked out no i guess that's true but anyone that's played with you knows you're you are an elite footballer by any means and and it's actually funny because when i played with you and watched you play you've always been a midfield player um which is why i think technically you always hold your own no problem but when did that did the transition to right back, was that sort of to blood you into the A-League? Is that where you sort of started playing those early games at Sydney FC? Yeah, so uh, at the AAS, like you said, I was a, a midfielder and, and sort of rated myself as a midfielder. Um, <laughs> knowing what attributes probably wasn't a midfielder, but I uh, was lucky enough to play there for a bit. And then as I came to Sydney FC in the youth team, like I said, we had a pretty stacked team at the time. So um, I didn't even get a look in. They sort of just shifted me out to, to right back. And I remember being pretty filthy about it just because as, as footballers, when you're younger, you're sort of the player that you don't is probably not the best or the most technical player. You sort of get shifted to either right or left back and um, you sort of look down on it. But at that stage, it was sort of starting to become a position that was a little bit more important to the team. And um, I still didn't want to play out there, but I sort of got it and, and I could tell what the coaches were trying to do and, and whatnot. It sort of, like I said, suited my attributes. So sort of got shafted out there and didn't really enjoy it at the start and then started to um, do do quite well, I suppose, and um, understand the position a little bit more and, and, and sort of enjoy it. And then, yeah, got my foot in the door, like I said, in the A-League, made my debut as a fullback. And then the rest of that season, I think I played fullback, except for the last game. I think I got a chance in midfield and... Um, and then after that, just bounced around every position, to be honest. But yeah, started off all bit. It's weird though, isn't it? Because you play, and this is, I think a lot of young pro players experience this, like their way to sort of get into the teams is you've got the ability, but to get you in, you kind of need to blood into a certain position or it's funny, you play a position your whole life, then you get to the highest level you're playing at. And it's like, you're playing a brand new position straight away. It's like, what the fuck's going on here? 
<laughs> um, which which would have been funny. I've never thought about it like that. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird, it's isn't it? Yeah. You go through all the papers, learning the one, not not that you just learn to a, a certain position, but that's what you're used to, and then yeah. you get to the highest level, and they go, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. play out there, figure that out, that. <laughs> figure that out, deal with it, yeah, <laughs> play against the best suffering in the league, and and figure out how to play right back. No, but I mean, look, good players can play in any position, but uh, I would just I just found that interesting because. Um, the second year you were at Sydney FC, which is probably your first full year as a pro, um, I think the in, in the first few seasons you won a premiership, um, which would have been like an electric ride. And I remember you and Kofi, uh, Brendan Gann, like being like central parts of that team as well, playing like the full season. It must have been a bit of a hell of a ride going from a boy in Canounja traveling, the, catching the train in the N-Swiss environments and bouncing around Sydney to then all of a sudden like being an A-League champion. Um, winning, I think it was at it was at uh, Telstra Dome back then. Already had stadium now, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, the, the my first year as pro, the following year, um, we had Vitaslav Lavica come in because he had got the sack um, in the the off season. Uh, the obviously the year coming into that, and then Vitcher came in. Um, yeah, and then it was just one of those unreal years again. I so my first year, and I was just sort of thinking, how easy is this? But um, <laughs> no, I was quite lucky I played a few games um that year um and obviously playing with the likes of, of John Aloisi and Colosimo and yeah. Steve Corica uh at the time um some big players Clint Bolton some really big players um and it was just sort of a, a good learning curve for me to sort of get used to it and, and be around the ultimate pros and, and see what it's like day in day out but yeah, that year we ended up getting to the final and, and winning it but unfortunately I was I got injured um just before the semis, I, I did my syndesmosis in my ankle, so I was out for a little bit, um, which which sucked because I was coming on as a number ten actually for um, Bimby. Bimby. <laughs> just to chuck another one in there. Right now. Uh, Bimby was well, at the time he was a little bit older, so he was only playing probably seventy minutes, uh, and then he'd come off, and I'd come on and just run like a headless chook for the last twenty or twenty five. Um, and just running behind because that's all I knew. I didn't want ball to feet, mate. I'm not the ball to feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it ended up I got injured. Bimby actually got injured too, unfortunately. But, yeah, we were both injured. And then um, a few more injuries. I think Johnny got injured too, Aloisi. So going to that final, we were massively down on troop. I remember, yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember feeling like I would have been a massive part to play in this in this final if I was, if I was fit because there were so many injuries. Um, and we even had a guy make his debut, Joey Gibbs, made his debut in that final. You're kidding. Um, come off the bench, yeah, <laughs> to make his debut because we were that low on numbers. So it was just one of those weird years and it sort of worked out for us. Obviously, Muskie hit the post in the penalty shootout and we went on to win it. So just everything happened. It was just, yeah, it was just one of those years and one of those days that it was just all over the shot, but ended up getting the win and that was my first year. Mate, first first of many to to come as well because you, you have won a couple and I do want to jump into I guess the more media part of your career and um, I am going to get into I guess some of the adversity you've had to overcome because anyone knows 12 years at the top playing at one club doesn't just come with a smooth path it comes with it challenges and and obviously the dominant era now of Sydney FC I want to drive into but um, we do have a quick fire five the unlaced quick fire five this is the first of this segment and we're going to trial it on you Buster so if it's shit, it's coming down on you, mate. <laughs> not not on me. But I have put the questions out to some of the listeners, um, the people who are subscribing in on the channels. Thank you so much. Um, so we're going to run through five questions, pretty much in the in the in the heading. You've got you know one or two seconds to kind of instinctively to get the answer and just come back to me with 
with your response on, on, on what it may be. So nothing too outlandish, but um, we'll get going. So hardest opponent you've ever played in the A-League personnel, like player? I'm going to say a mixture of, of the time where it was Archie and Rojas on both flanks and they were just swapping. Right. And Jazeera. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. This is this is the one question, but it's got you're going to have to have two answers. Best coach and best player you have played with and for? Um, oh, it's tough. I'm going to say Arnie, just because he sort of um, put me into the right back role and sort of got, gave me that license to, to play that more attacking role. And the best player I've played with, Oh, that's tough. I'm gonna. I mean, there's so many players, but it's got to be Del Piero, right? Yeah, fuck. He was. Yeah, that's. The, if I say who's the best player I ever played against, I just say him based off CV. Amazing. All right. Yeah. Biggest biggest influence on your career. Uh, another cliche answer, but probably my old man. Yeah. Just still to this day doesn't miss a home game. Just loves it. He's not even a, a soccer guy either. Yeah. He's just a massive um, rugby league fan too. But um, still. Thinks he knows a little bit about it. Supports, mate. Sometimes they're the best dads. They're not the they're not the sort of you know uh, helicopter fathers that you see around sometimes. But all right, we'll keep going. Most important moment of your career. Oh. You can take this any way you want, on field, off field. What's what's been a bit of a defining period for you? That's you know helped uh, you to be who you are. I'm going to say um, being given the the chance to be the, the starting fullback at Sydney. I think that's really pushed me the last oh, four or five years, whatever I've been playing there, but that definitely sent me on the right track. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Now this is going to be an interesting one because of where you're from. It, but if, if you weren't a footballer, what would you have been? Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to say horticulturalist just because I'm a bit outdoorsy. <laughs> yeah. There you go, the full-time yeah. Derek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here he is. It's through the mullet anyway. I definitely look like one. Yeah, beautiful, mate. We see we see a few of those off-season profs that are they're definitely out, outdoorsmen there for sure. <laughs> um, all right, I appreciate you doing that. Look, that was a quick segment. We're going to keep them running, guys, for those going forward. So keep tuning in on that and, and keep shooting us in your questions. Anyone that knows Ryan Grant, uh, and particularly anyone that knows any form of professional sport, being a, a pro at the one club for as long as you have is not going to come with an easy path. And you, you have had some challenges. And when I say that, um, I just say from an injury standpoint, having some setbacks and hurdles that have been put in front of you that you know, are not easy injuries. They're not necessarily football injuries. They're almost like life injuries because they impact everything you do from a day-to-day -day perspective. And I'm speaking about the two ACLs that you've done, I guess, in the past four or five years or five or six years now. Um, and I just wanted to get your perspective from an athlete, you know, uh, mindset and sort of physicality standpoint. Like, how, how did you process that? How did you get through that period of, of your career? Yeah, it was um, the first one. My first um, knee injury where I ruptured my ACL was, was a weird one because you sort of see players go through it and you, everyone, when you say ACL or, or knee injury, everyone just thinks the worst. Um, and oh, will you have come back from it? How difficult is it? Blah, blah, blah. So I was, yeah, a bit, had that in the back of my mind, but at the same time, I was, didn't really know what to expect. And I think I was 21 at the time. So um, I was still sort of learning my craft and, and knowing what it was like to be a pro um, when it comes to looking after yourself and the rehab and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was difficult. I was, I remember calling my folks and being like, oh, yeah, I've sort of done my knee and my dad has done his knee in the past. So he was a bit like, oh, yeah, that's 
obviously not good news, but you'll get through it, blah, blah, blah. And everyone says the right things to you at the time, but um, you've still got to get the operation. You've still got to wait three months until you can run again or jog. And then you've still got to wait another six months to tick all the boxes. And then obviously after anywhere between nine months is when it actually you get back to playing. Um, well, you hope to get back to playing after that long. So everyone tries to say the right things at the right time, but it's just one of those things like, um, do I take that in now? And I can be more positive about it now, but then in three weeks time, I'm going to be in the same sort of position where I still can't do anything. I'm still going to be, have my down moments and have my own thoughts and, and the rest of it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. But at the same time, um, I'm quite naturally a, a pretty positive guy and pretty upbeat and happy-go-lucky. So I never got too down. I was quite lucky where um, I, was, I still had a, a, another two years or uh, close to two years on my contract. So I never had to worry about um, getting back by a certain time to make sure I was back playing and, and doing everything right to, to earn another contract. So I was quite lucky in that regard. Um, but still, that doesn't make the biggest difference. You still got to go to training and, yeah. um, and do all yeah. the right things. Um, so it was yeah, definitely difficult. And then on to the second one, um, you sort of, everyone says, oh, is it easier? You sort of know what you've got to expect, um, what you've got to do and, and the rest of it. So you're sort of like, yeah, I suppose you, you know what's ahead of you. So it can be a little bit easier, but at the same time, it's pretty hard because you know what, what's ahead of you. Correct, and you know right. all the hard steps you take and, and all the boxes you've got to tick before you can do anything. So, um, yeah, I was quite lucky again where I was, I was sort of just like, oh, it is what it is. Like, I was pretty happy with my career by then. I think I was 26 or something and I'd called, called up to the Socceroos, hadn't played, just sat on the bench, but I was just chuffed with that. So I was like, oh, I'm pretty happy with my career. I've won a, a grand final, scored in a grand final, uh, then called up to the Socceroos. Didn't get to play, but I was still got the jersey. Um, so I was quite content anyway. So I was like, oh, if, if this is it, then this is it. But I know that sounds super dramatic, but it's only an injury. But it, yeah, I was just more like, oh, it is what it is. And then... Um, sort of having that relaxed, I suppose, mindset just made it a little bit easier for me um, not to put too much expectation on myself to get back. And then, um, yeah, when I was in that frame of mind, it just made it a lot easier. And um, the second time around was a lot smoother. Everything went um, a lot better um, in, in terms of my rehab and no mishaps and no slip-ups. So, um, yeah, the, the second time was um, just as easy uh, as the first one for me uh, mentally. But... Um, the, the physical side of it, I wasn't sure how it'd go, but then, yeah, sort of got super fit in that time. I had Andrew Clark at the time at Sydney FC making sure I was doing everything right and got me super fit. And then I sort of came back into the team and um, felt as good as new. So um, that was a, a pretty quick overview of it all. And there was a lot more in between. Oh, but, I can imagine. Um, I think at the end of it, it was just more of my, yeah, just naturally pretty happy-go-lucky and, and positive attitude. But you definitely see some, some, or you experience, I suppose, some times where you're a bit off it and you're a bit over it and the rest yeah. of it. But lucky enough for me and, and touch wood, I sort of got through it and, and had no real dramas. What was the, um, what was the gap between the first and the second? It was like two or three years. It was like, I think it was four, four years. Four years, right? I think. It was a bit of a chunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like when people say, oh, you've done it before. And ACLs, like, I haven't done an ACL, but having obviously been around players that have done them, it's like, it affects a lot of things for a long period of time. And it's like, you know, just getting out of bed, walking, like basic sort of living. Um, so to go through that twice over a long period of time, I can imagine it's challenging. And what's kind of, 
why I wanted to hone in a little bit on it with you is because it's funny when you, you look at when you did those things, you typically think players are when they have serious injuries, it tends to hold them back a bit or when they come back, they're never the same. But if you look at your career, it's like you've really gone up three or four levels since, since the last one and what you've actually achieved from winning championships. So actually you mentioned getting called up for Socceroos, but actually like debuting and getting like being the sort of Socceroo first choice as a, as a fullback. Um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, did you kind of envision like that that sort of trajectory of your career happening after after the second one? Uh, definitely not. Like I said, I, I was very content um, with my career. Not that I'd, I'd set the league on fire or I had the best career ever. I was very far from that, and I was aware of that. But just in myself, I was I was more than happy with what I'd done. And if it wasn't if I wasn't get to get back to where I was. Um, because the I did it in the preseason, and the year before is when we won the the, the final um, uh, on penalties, and I scored the equaliser in that grand final, and um, that's the year, like I said, I've been called up for Australia. So a lot of good things had happened for me that year, and it had been my best year to date as a professional. So I knew that it was going to be tough to sort of get back to that level if I could. Um, so that's why I was, yeah, I was just content and happy to to sort of see how I went. Um, which made me a lot more relaxed. But then after that, yeah, I did not expect to to get anywhere near um, back to where I was, or if better. Um, but then, yeah, I think I was within. I think I think four months of being back from that injury um, is when I got called up for the Socceroos and, and debuted. So the, the turnaround and the, how quickly it happened, uh, I did not expect it. Or I didn't even expect to to get into the Socceroos in, in my life. Um, well, for the rest of my career, I was not expecting that. I'm not someone that thinks I should be there. I still doubt myself whenever I'm in that <laughs> squad. So it's not, it's not something that I, I sort of set out to happen. It sort of just worked out really well for me and I uh, got my chance and then obviously debuted and lucky enough to be able to play a handful of games since then. But um, yeah, it was something I definitely didn't see happening after uh, the second knee. You're as humble as they come, Buster. I'm not buying it. You are a genuine superstar. I'm going to go into some of the reasons why, but just quickly on that, and this is more advice for anyone listening in who's experienced a tough injury or is, is yet to, but they're going to at some point. If you could give any advice to, I guess, Ryan Grant, who'd done it the first time round, what, what would you tell him now with what you know, um, I guess, how to get through that period? Um, I think just set little little goals, whether you write them down or whether you have them in the back of your mind, um, just get to here by then. Or if not, just have little boxes you can tick and be like, oh, I've done that now, time to move on. I think that was the biggest thing for me, especially on the second one, because I'd learned that from the first one. I sort of maybe probably didn't look after myself as well as I should have um, with the first one. And um, when, when it came to a bit of, maybe I was a bit overweight and trying to get back from that, I had a little slip up and, and put myself out for an extra three or four months, um, which wasn't great. But yeah, probably just set little goals um, and make sure when you achieve them, you sort of put them behind you and then look forward to the next one. And by little goals, it could be anything, whatever the injury is. But for me, it was... Uh, make sure I could um, do the the figure eight runs properly in, within a certain time, and um, obviously everything's checked by the the doctors and the physios yeah. and whatnot. But you set those goals as you go, and and they're so big. Whether it's just straight line running, changing from straight line running to to figure eights or to starting to to step and and whatnot, it's mm. the biggest uh, motivator because you haven't done that for Correct, three months right. and then you haven't done everything else. So the little things make the biggest difference. Um, and then probably the second thing, which I learned the second time around, um, I actually spoke to Richie Garcia and he's, he's done his, 
his knee uh, four times, I think. Uh, and obviously he played in the Prem and, and the rest of it. So he's played at the highest level. He said, as a footballer, you never really get this chance to get away from football and live pretty much a normal life. Uh, and I know we're very blessed. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but we sort of miss our weekends. We miss our every day. We miss different events and celebrations and stuff. So he, he said for him it was big. And then he obviously gave me the advice was make the most of that. Make the most of those weekends off when the boys are away on an away trip you're obviously stuck in Sydney and you still got to do your rehab, but go out with your mates or do that trip down the coast or go see your family or something, stuff that you sort of miss out on. And just getting away from football in that way or getting away from sport um, was massive for me. And I, at the time, bought a van um, and sort of decked it out with a bed and, um, yeah, went on little trips up and down the coast by myself at <laughs> times and um, with my dad other times and, yeah, just went fishing or went surfing or went whatever. How good's that? Um, I'm ordinary at both of those, but it was just <laughs> fun to get away and sort of take your mind off all of it. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a massive distraction. And then when you come back in on the Monday or the Tuesday, whenever you have to be back in, you're like laser focused to, to get back in because you actually missed being on the pitch because you're away from it for those few days. So I think that's probably the biggest advice I would give anyone that's going through long-term injuries. That's awesome. It's, it's all, it's, it's interesting as well. Like that change of perspective can actually help football. And we speak about it on this podcast all the time. Um, and it's, yeah, I remember, I remember those periods for you, like they were, they were tough periods. And I think that's actually great advice that Richard Garcia said. It's, it's true because you, you probably never do get that opportunity to do some of those things. And I actually never even thought of an injury like that as that's an opportunity to go be a normal human because sometimes I felt when I had serious injuries, like I almost forgot what it was like to play football. So when you mentioned like just getting on the on the grass and running, you're like, this is as good as it gets. This is awesome because you forgot what that was like, but let alone playing. But um, now credit to you, man. And I think one of the things uh, about you that's that's been evident is that you've been a real like cult figure of Sydney FC for the, a long period of you being there. And we joke about the haircut, but just from an actual playing perspective and, and being a, you know a pivotal part of almost every squad. Um, you know, through that right back and midfield position um, across the last few years. One thing that's really noticeable from the outside is the culture that Sydney FC has been able to build um, over the last four to five years, which is obviously translated into on-field performances. And I'd love to tap into that a little bit to kind of get your perspective of, of what happened in, in between sort of the four walls there that really enabled all of this success over the last few years to happen, and I guess dominance across the A-League. Yeah, I think... We always had a, a good culture here at Sydney. We've had some a lot of good players come through, but I think the biggest thing um, was we had, a, a, especially in my early days at Sydney, we had so many coaches come through. So it was one every year or two years, and it was just a sort of a bit of a rotation there. And um, obviously we have big players come through. I'm very lucky to play with some big names. I just, we spoke about Del Piero before, but even him coming through, but then he would obviously leave after a couple of years. So it sort of, it wasn't that it was a bad culture, but I think, when Arnie came in, um, he sort of brought in a, a few boys and then um, would just whether it was luck of the draw, obviously he says he, he brings in good people as well as good players, which is which is true. But um, when those sort of boys came in, when it was Breno and uh, Brennan O'Neill and mm. Joshy Brillante, Jules came in, um, Wilkes, Alex mm. Wilkinson came in. We had so many good fellas, good professionals and, and really good players, but really good, good fellas. So yeah. we just got along like and fire and um yeah did everything together whether it was um staying after after training and just going to the local um shopping center here and getting coffee and playing cards or um on the weekends if we went for beers on a sunday or something after a game 
as you know, whether it's mates or football mates, you, sometimes you get four or five boys, but honestly that year we were getting 13, 14 boys wow. going for beer, which is, yeah, which is, that says a lot, you don't it? hear that very often. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, it was one of those years where we just all got on really, really well. And um, I think that just translates, uh, like you said, onto the pitch into good performances and um, again with the cliches, but you just got each other's back and you're there for each other. And um, I had boys, I lived by myself at the time and I just only had a one bedroom apartment, but I had five or six boys just sleeping at my place one weekend. <laughs> it was just one of those ones, everyone was in each other's pockets and um, just having a really good time and getting on, on, along really well. So it was just one of those years again where um, everything just gelled and I think that's the year we, we broke all the records and I think yeah. we only lost one game that year and then obviously went on to win the final. So I think the culture that that started um, was massive and then a lot of those boys are still here obviously some have, have left but they're still a massive part um, of the team in, in the way that we still talk to them in group chats or uh, I still talk to the boys personally those guys have left but majority of them are still here so um, when you sort of stick together and know each other that well and live in each other's pocket uh, it's only going to build good things and I think that's sort of what happened. So you mentioned like the the culture that you built and having I guess, a continuity of, of players within Sydney FC. One thing you guys have done well um, is like your imports as well. And I know we speak about Del Piero, like what a superstar he was, um, which must have been amazing to play on. It'd be great to get you to tap on that period of Sydney FC. But also like you know, Ninkovic is arguably one of the most successful imports the A-League's ever seen in regards to actually uh, you know, performing and winning. He's been like second to none. I mean, has that, has that complemented that sort of stable you know, Australian group that's obviously equality and, and that mateship that's been there as well? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, Ninko sort of goes without saying what he's done for us and, and what a legend he is here at Sydney and, and in the A-League. I think when he came in, um, we had another Serbian guy called uh, Milos Stimitrovic and they were sort of mates. And when he came in, he was like, he's good. And we're like, oh, is he? We're like to Milos Stimitrovic, you're good, man. And he's like, no, he's better than me. And we're like, oh, okay, here we go. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, um, I think the first his first year within a few games, he scored against the Wanderers, I think the winner, and celebrated with the fans. And then from then, it just hasn't stopped. He sort of just turned it on year in, year out. And as he's getting older, he's just, it feels like he's getting better. And we sort of talk around the, around the, the change room with the boys. Like, I'd love to see him at, when he was 25, 26 and what he was doing because... I think he's like 35 or 36 something now and he's, he's tearing it up and Incredible. it would just been awesome to see him in his, in his uh, this might be his, his prime. I'm not sure, but if he was in his prime, maybe his late twenties or, or mid twenties, what he could have done, it would have been freakish to see uh, firsthand. But um, yeah, he's a legend. He's such a humble fella too. He, he hardly says boo yeah. um, around the change room and, and, and doesn't whinge or doesn't moan. First one to do everything right, whether it's ice bath or gym and, picks up bags at the airport with all the young boys. It's, he's just, an, honestly, so just a, a top fella and a, a real humble fella. So um, he's been awesome. And then obviously we've got other players that have come through. When you mentioned imports, we've had Bobo come through. He's obviously back now, but at yeah. the time when he came, he was banging them in. We've had Alfie last year. Um, so we've always had a few players come in and, and been obviously really good players and, and killed in the A-League. But like we said, we had that core group that, sort of stayed here and, and created that culture and really made sure that culture stayed. And then those fellas that come in just buy into it and, and are more than happy to joke around with us and, and um, 
be very much a part of it. So it's just, yeah, everything's just worked out really well, especially the last four or five years. Yeah. What, what's it like speaking of playing with a player later on in his age and wondering what he was like in his prime, what was it like with Del Piero for that period? Because I remember just playing against him. Like, I, honestly, like the only one of the only players I've played against where I was looking at him more than I was looking at the ball just because I was like, it's him. You know what I mean? <laughs> what was that like for you playing with him and training with him every day? Yeah, it was, it's, 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 it's hard to explain because it was just, you can't not be a fanboy. You're just like, wow. Like, and again, I wasn't, I'm not a massive um, football fan. And when I was younger, like football wasn't everything to me. So I didn't know all these players that the boys talk about, but one player I definitely knew was Del Piero. So when Del Piero came, I was like, he's huge. Cause if I know him, he's obviously massive in world football. Um, and obviously he came here and um, with so many stories when he came here, but he was just a, another really good fella. Like I think when he came here, he had, he had a book. He all gave us a signed book. He had a, a watch brand. We all got a watch. And it wasn't him being like, oh, look at me. Here, have a book. Have it. He was just like, oh, here, fellas. Like I've got all this stuff, obviously. This is for you. And if you don't want it, no problem. But we we're like, no. Nah, yeah, yeah. What else you got? Uh, <laughs> I was following him around. A bad smell to see what I fell out of his pockets. He was just a legend, and then obviously on the on the training paddock, what he could do, he, everything just looked like he was in slow mo. Yeah, I think he was thirty eight at the time. Yeah, he was. He was almost forty. Trained, yeah, mate. And you you train against him, and he would come in. You'd be like, leave the ball hanging there, and you're like, oh, I, was, I think I might have been twenty two at the time, so I was young and and nippy, and I was like, oh, I'll get this, and he'd just sort of get his ass in the road, or yeah. just pull it away, or put it through your legs, and you're just like. Wow. And you'd honestly do it every session. You're like, oh, I've got him this time. Yeah. Uh, and then just do it the same thing. You're like, far out. Like, this is <laughs> embarrassing. But um, yeah, he was a legend. Even like some of the stories, mate. Like we had people come here to get married on the hill of our training field because they would love Del Piero so much and they wanted him to be in his photos. So they got married on our hill and he was literally there to pose with them. Um, they had tattoos of him. Jeez. We had all these people come through with massive tattoos on their back, on their bum. Mate, it was it was never. I haven't seen anything like it. I I couldn't imagine what like Messi and and Ronaldo go through because the amount of people that came just to see Del Piero in Australia, let alone Italy, um, was freakish. And then obviously we went to Italy for a preseason too, and it was just another level. We had to same as what we were saying about us in Colombia. We just had people escorting us everywhere because the amount of people around were. It was frightening. It was yeah, another world, mate. It's crazy. I remember when we played, uh, Adelaide played um, Sydney, where our biggest crowd for the year was when we played Del Piero. And the biggest sort of quartet of the crowd was people in Juventus tops. Like it wasn't even a Sydney FC <laughs> or Adelaide fan. It was just Del Piero fans. And I can imagine that would have been like you week to week, right? Like at home and also away, like just the jam-packed stadiums. And I think one thing I, I was interested, given your... I guess, continuity in the A-League in your career being sort of within the league for so long. A contentious subject is always, I guess, how we grow the game in the country and the ebbs and flows of the A-League with expansion or whether there should be a promotion and relegation. I mean, you're one of the actual one guys that's been there for almost all of it. Um, and I guess from your view, it'd be, be really good to understand, I guess, your views of the league um, at the moment, I guess I'm, a, I'm not saying you're the, the chairman of the FFA that can make change, but I, I guess is there some things that you think that the league could benefit on? You some things that you you think the league actually does really well that doesn't get enough sort of, you know, um, limelight that that maybe some of the scrutiny overweighs. Uh, that's a big question. A oh. massive question. 
I don't, I don't change like the structure. I, <laughs> I don't tap into football massively, but um, yeah, I think this year the the standard of the league has definitely got a lot better. Um, I think that's that's obvious, and everyone's talking about the entertainment factor this year has been a lot better than it has, especially in the last maybe yeah. three or four years, um, which is awesome. I think the young players that are coming through, whether they're better than, than what we've had in the past, I'm not sure, or if they're just getting a chance and, and taking that, I think is a, is a massive um, tick for the, for the league. I think the likes of Mariners being back at top after finishing last, I think, last year Crazy. is also just draws a little bit more attention and gets people talking and watching. Um, and if it just gets those three or four p- people that enjoy football but maybe don't watch the A-League back watching and then they obviously talk and get more people watching, it's just going to benefit everyone. But, yeah, I'm not sure. It's, it's always a tough one when it comes to Australian football and what, what can be improved. We know that probably the level of professionalism across the whole league um, when, it, when it comes to individual clubs could probably get better, but obviously money's needed for that and where that's generated from is another whole issue. So... Um, I'm just happy that the league is is entertaining and and everyone's back talking about it, um, especially in the football world. Um, and it's just back to to being goals because I think yeah, that's definitely it. Last few years, yeah, there's been a lot of maybe nil draws, one nil, um, and it's sort of a l- little bit ugly to watch at times. I'm not saying it is definitely, but at times it could be. But this year, you're seeing four three, you're seeing four nil. It's just really good to see, and it's a lot more. Uh, entertainment which is what puts bums on seats and makes people watch watch the games on tv so um that's the biggest thing and i'm just glad the young boys are getting a chance in in the whole league and um maybe the olympics has something to do with that i don't know people yeah. trying to put their best foot forward to be selected threes. um i'm not sure but yeah it definitely looks like the, the standards are a lot better this year and um which is great to see yeah, no, it's a, it's a great call. And it is, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. The league's as, ex, as exciting as it's been for a while watching and seeing the young players come in and make that impact is, is definitely aiding to that. Um, I guess one of the, one of the every, we're speaking of young players and every child's dream in this country is to play for their country. And it's something you've managed to do. Um, and as you said, you know, quite humbly, it wasn't something you probably thought you would have done, you know, quite a while ago and, and been such a pivotal part of the Socceroos set up. But I mean, how how is that getting the call up initially to obviously one being a soccer squad, but then actually debuting for your country? It must just be surreal because you did it at every level on the youth level, but doing it on obviously the the senior level must be something different. Yeah, that was that was obviously the proudest moment. I know that everyone would probably say that, and and rightfully so. Proudest moment playing for your country and representing the Socceroos uh, was awesome for me and, and huge. Um, yeah, like I mentioned before, I, I didn't expect to get back in uh, or around the, the Australian squad, uh, especially after my knee injury. So for it to happen pretty pretty quickly or relatively quickly after um, was a surprise. So I did not expect that. I, I think when, my, when I got called up initially um, from Arnie, it was just to, to train with the team. Uh, they had a few friendlies, one in Brisbane and one in Sydney. Um, so I was just um, there to be a part of the, the training and then... Um, Lucky enough, I think some boys dropped out of the squad uh, and then Arnie said, yeah, you, you'll stay on with us and, and, and play uh, or be part of the, the next game, which was Lebanon in Sydney. Um, and then obviously, yeah, ended up starting that game and debuting. So um, didn't expect it, didn't expect to, to start the game or even be on the bench, to be honest, but it sort of worked out that way. And it was just awesome that it, it got to be in Sydney where I could have all my family travel up um, and then obviously have a lot of friends there too. So 
Uh, couldn't have worked out any better, to be honest, having a, a debut in Sydney. And it actually was um, Tim Cahill's last game too. So, oh. so it coincided with that. It was, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. And um, my cap number was 600 too. So it was just really cool how it sort of all worked out. Pretty even number to remember when people ask me. And then <laughs> you can't forget that. Cahill and having everyone there in Sydney. So it worked out really well. And um, like I said, I was just happy to get that one game. I, if that was me done, then I was, I was buzzing. I'd, I've got my cap for the Socceroos and, and, and achieved my highest goal. So I was done after that, but um, obviously <laughs> yeah. so I've been quite lucky. Mate, no, it's awesome. And I, I am very proud of you having played with you and seeing you on your journey going to achieve that. It's a pretty amazing moment. Anyone playing for their country and obviously now we've got ambitions to go back to the World Cup is, is something even more exciting to be a part of. But uh, I think the last thing I do want to get your perspective on and anyone who's watched the A-League over the last few years has known Buster's a big game player. Um, he stands up in big moments. He seems to he seems to not score too many, but he seems to rattle the rattle the net in in the important moments. And last year's grand final was just an example of that. Um, I, I'm really keen, and and as part of this grand final, I will say you did win player of the match, which the Joe Master Medal has been around for as long as there's been a pro league in this country of, um, you know, the player of the match in in the you know, I guess the Australian professional league grand final. So it is quite a sentimental medal, which you won in that game, but. Can you talk me through that game and obviously the 100th minute winner in extra time off the chest of all parts of the body? I mean, what a, what a pretty crazy period that, that must have been for you. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, obviously, the game was... Um, people said it was a bit of a boring game, but I remember on the field, I remember it being pretty... A few chances. I know we had a, definitely had a few chances. They obviously scored the goal and then got disallowed for... Um, obstruction, I think, for the VAR in front of Redders. But, um, yeah, it was one of those games where it was sort of, was it going to happen or was it not? And then obviously went to extra time. And um, in the 100th minute, I think you said, it, I think Bratsy just put one on a platter. And it was, I probably should have headed it, to be honest. And it looked more than if I do you reckon if you had it, missed it? If you, if you had missed it, do you reckon that would have been everyone that made, why didn't you header it? That would have been the feedback, wouldn't it? people would have been like what are you doing and it was just more reaction I think and that's where I'm probably at my best is when I don't have time to think about it if I have time to think about it I'm, I'm up ship creek a bit so I need to sort of just react and that was just sort of what happened and sort of dropped at a perfect height where I could just sort of just give it a little nudge uh, with the chest or the shoulder and ended up going in the back of the net a few of the boys tried to steal it I think right on the line I think yeah. Alfie and, and um, you know, yeah, tried to jump in and, <laughs> Um, it worked out. It went in the back of the net, and I ran off like an idiot and pulled my shirt up. Did not obviously have that plan and regret that. That's the biggest regret. <laughs> obviously, I was on a yellow card, and that created a bit of controversial, yeah, um, discussion. Second yellow, blah blah blah. But it was more. I'm just looking at it more embarrassed. Like, what was I doing? I've got the pasty white body trying to get my rig out. It's no good. Um, just silly moment, but it obviously went in the back of the net and got to celebrate and jump around like a dickhead for a few minutes. But um, yeah, it sort of worked out really well. I don't know why it worked out for me, but um, yeah, a bit of luck on my side in the right place at the right time again. And Bratsy sort of put it on a platter and in the back of the net. Mate, it was one of the most amazing moments I've seen on a soccer field. A chest, a chested goal in general, then to let alone in a hundredth minute to win a grand final, something else. But only you could do something like that. But uh, Ryan Grant, it's been a pleasure, mate. Three-time A-League champion, as we said, a Joe Master medalist, a Socceroo, all probably three things you didn't think you'd have 10 years ago being a boy from Canounja, but definitely have earned uh, and definitely got more and more to come. So, mate, I love what you're doing. I love seeing you be you. You're, you're one of the more authentic guys in the league of 
you know, keeping your personality um, off the field and on the field is the same as it is. So, mate, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, mate. I really do appreciate it. No problem at all, Jake. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been mad. No worries, Buster. Cheers, mate. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning OzCast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. OzCast. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details.